0: This is Pet Life Radio. Let's Talk Pets. This episode of Vet Candy is brought to you by Cruz Manuka Honey. Your first choice for moist wound healing.
1: Hey, welcome. Welcome to another episode of Vet Candy's podcast in other news. This is a podcast that's going to expand your idea of what is impacting the veterinary world, veterinarians, and all animal care professionals as humans. We are your co-hosts. I'm Dr. Jen.
2: And I'm Dr. Jason Chatfield.
1: If you are not yet a Vet Candy subscriber.
2: Why not?
1: Please subscribe for free today at MyVetCandy.com and as always. All, any listener can reach me with messages of love and positivity at Jen at MyVetCandy.com.
2: And also, as always, for those of you guys who like to speak the truth and get real with it, hit me up at Jason at MyVetCandy.com.
1: Okay, so today, maybe I got the wrong notes. My notes say that today we're discussing honey, but this is not.
2: That's the same notes I got. What? Yeah, listen. In other news, honey is good for more more than just peanut butter sandwiches. And we're going to find out how.
1: What? How are we going to find that out? You you got like a mouse in your pocket? Who's the Uh, we that's going to find this out?
2: I was hoping you were going to tell me because I really like honey on some peanut butter. I'll tell you that much.
1: I know. There's so many jokes to be made about honey. However, I think there's like a legit professional discussion to be had. So we should bring in... A legit professional to have that discussion with us, right? So yes, welcoming back into the candy verse, Dr. Courtney Campbell.
0: Oh my goodness! That was an incredible intro, man. That made me so happy. Listen, thank you guys for uh, this opportunity. It's always fun to come back to the familiar neighborhood, and when I come back here on this podcast, it, it definitely feels like family. So thanks again. And you're right. This is something I've been really looking forward to because we're gonna get a chance to talk about honey. We've seen a lot of interest and a lot of headlines about the use of medical grade honey in various applications, like wounds and things like that. Hold up, medical grade honey.
1: In the headlines, Jason. Did you hear that in the headlines?
2: Well, some headlines, but I've never heard of medical grade
0: honey. What is that? I can't get that at uh, the supermarket. I I love it because there's a lot to unpack there. Number one, honey. Are we really using honey for medicine? And then within the the umbrella term of honey or just the substance of honey, there's a subset of honeys that can have uh, medical benefits. There's
1: a subset of honeys?
0: Just the term Medical grade honey by itself, like you said, it blows a lot of people's minds.
1: It does. So what's your favorite subset of honeys, Dr. Campbell?
0: You know what? I'm going to say 100% Manuka medical grade honey, flat out. You know what I mean? And I don't, a lot of people say, wow, that's a pretty declarative. You know what I mean? It is very specific, very declarative. But on this podcast, you don't allow me to pull my shot. So I got to just go out there and just say it 100%. Aren't
2: you going to ask me my favorite kind of honey?
1: (laughs) What's your favorite kind of honey? Clover. It comes in the little bear. Little
2: bear, hundred percent.
1: Have you ever seen honey used, Jason, in a clinical setting, not in the break room?
2: I actually I have not. Listen, all honest, we talked about it. We've talked about it a few times or whatever, but I've never actually seen it in action.
1: I saw it used one time. It was only a couple of years ago because it was when I was in vet school. I was uh, walking through the uh, large animal hospital at the UNAM in Mexico City, and they were treating a horse wound on the distal. Back leg, I think if I remember right, with honey. And I thought to myself, is that a thing?
2: You thought to yourself, they gotta be out of silvedine. <laughs> that's what you thought.
1: You know that's what I thought. <laughs> Especially on horses, right? Oh, uh, this
0: is temporary. Yeah, it's
1: funny. <laughs> this is like a, a stopgap measure till the Sylvadine arrives. So my question is, is this new, Dr. Campbell?
0: You know, it really isn't, you know, I was thinking about this a lot because I was thinking about the the opportunity to speak with both of you and I was like, this is literally the opposite of new. I mean, we have seen the ancient Egyptians using honey, even as early as like 2500 BC, they found containers of honey. Two thousand five hundred years b c that were uncontaminated, so we know that honey has like these tremendous antibacterial properties. If you look at some of the earliest surgical treatises like um, papyrus where it 's written on papyrus, these old military like surgical journals you 'll see really. Uh, well written, there are descriptions of applying honey to wounds. So from ancient Egypt to old medical journal papyrus, like surgical treaties to just other historical references of using honey for medical purposes. It's incredible because it's making a resurgence. It's like what is old is now new again. It's like going back to the future.
2: That's an excellent story and an excellent reference. I love it. I think you may have watched a, sp- a special movie last night. I don't really know, but uh, I
1: would like the DeLorean instead. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you don't want honey?
1: No, no. You guys can have the honey and I'll take the Hufferboard and the DeLorean.
2: All right. So Dr. Campbell, listen. So how do they use the honey? Do they just open a little bear, a little snout, a little tip and just squeeze it on there and slather it on there? Or how does it, is there any kind of special way to use honey? How does that work? And I,
1: gotta, I got one question before you get to that, because I want to back up before you slather it on the wound, like because honey can have stuff in it that's no good, right? Like you can't give it to babies, right? Because it's got botulism, And it potentially how is this safe to be slathering on the wound?
0: Right, you know, and I think that both both questions could be blended into one. First, how do you use it, and why this honey? And the reality is, a lot of people ask me why medical grade, why manuka. The answer is very simple: is because you know naturally occurring honey, like you mentioned, could have. The bacteria that they find in honey at times, and that includes Clostridium botulinum, like you said, botulism toxin. And there are a lot of people who know a lot about Botox. You know what I mean?
1: Dr. Campbell, is that a shot at the female that's on the podcast? Oh,
0: absolutely not. Absolutely not. It was more uh, a California reference, but I, I will say this. The truth is this. Uh, When it comes to medical grade honey, you do want medical grade simply means that they've been able to sterilize it through gamma radiation, which will kill naturally occurring organisms like Clostridium botulinum. Also, you want to make sure that it meets certain standards, right? And so you're looking for something that is 100% Manuka honey. There are various formulations of it that have 80%, 90%. Ideally, if you can get uh, 100% that would be ideal, particularly because of a substance in medical-grade honey or Manuka honey called methylgloxal. Now, it used to be called the Manuka factor. That was the term for it. I prefer that one.
1: I'm wondering what manuka is. Like, I was thinking that was like some kind of a company name or something. But manuka is like referring to some compound within the honey, or is that what you're getting at? Or
0: yeah, it's actually referring to the plant. There's a manuka shrub that bees feed on, and it's found in Australia, New Zealand. And when bees feed on this, this particular honey has increased antibacterial properties compared to other types of honey. So now you know. Number one, what's the big deal about medical grade? Number one, we know it's free of herbicides, pesticides, and we know that it's taken in a sustainable way. That's number one, free of heavy metals. Second, we know that it's sterilized by gamma radiation to kill Clostridium botulinum. And then third, we know that it needs to meet a certain standard of this Manuka factor. We'll use that term instead of methylgloxal. We know that it has to meet those. So those are the main three ways that when people ask you, why Manuka? Why medical grade? You can say to them, hey, standards, bacteria, and obviously sterilization. So that's the key there. Where does
2: one get this? I'm back to the grocery store because I know very little, but I know about honey. There's a bunch of different kinds of honey. Am I able to buy this honey at the grocery
1: store? Dude, Australia, New Zealand. He said Australia, New Zealand.
2: I'm not going there to get Manuka
0: honey with the methyl glycolate. That's the first thing people do. And they say, hey, I heard honey is good for wounds and has medical applications. I'm just going to go to the nearest grocery store. I'm just going to grab it off the shelf big challenges there. Number one, is it free of herbicides, pesticides, heavy metals? Number two, is it sterilized by gamma radiation? Answer is no. You know, Number three, are we sure that it doesn't have Clostridium botulinum? And then of course, is it 100% Manuka honey? You know what I mean? So at the end of the day, I think that when you walk by the shelf and you say, oh my goodness, look at that shelf there. There's Manuka honey. And that's exactly what they were talking about on the podcast. You say to yourself, No, it has to be medical grade.
1: Well, but I mean, you know, any port in a storm, right? Like if I was stuck out camping or something, maybe. I have another question. At the time, remember when I was walking through the large animal clinic and I asked in my probably like toddler level Spanish, you know, what's happening right here? Why are you putting this money on there? So they explained to me, I think it's probably a little bit more sophisticated than this, Dr. Campbell, but it provides some kind of nourishment for the cells that are attempting to close the wound. But it doesn't provide the same thing for bacteria that are trying to grow there? Is that what happens? I mean...
0: No, I think you're spot on. I would say if, if somebody asked me flat out, what are the three reasons to celebrate the use of medical grade honey? What are the three or four reasons to celebrate... I would say let's start celebrating number one, right? Raise the roof. Let's bring that in from the 90s, right? I would say simply number one, basically bacteria resistance or antimicrobial properties. And there's two ways mainly. It both kills bacteria, right? It uses enzymes to dissolve them and they die in this fiery death of enzymes. And then also it provides a barrier because of its viscosity, right? You can, it's providing a variety of substances, both in a syrup, mostly paste-like form and is also impregnated in gauze and things like that. So just as a barrier, it prevents bacteria from contaminating the wound. So I'd say from an antimicrobial standpoint, both it kills bacteria and prevents them from getting into the wound. The second reason I would celebrate uh, medical grade Manuka honey is like exactly what you said. It nourishes the wound. It provides a moist wound environment. You're right. Those cells that are marching, those skin cells that are marching across the granulation tissue all the way to the other side so that they can form that bridge. This so honey is nourishing. And those are your favorite cells,
1: if I recall, right?
0: I like myofibroblasts because they involved in wound contraction. You have like a best memory, memory like an elephant. I would say number three, ease of application right
1: ease of application only if i can get it at the local WinDC. but on the point of reference to the co-host and likening her to an elephant i think we're going to take a short break so hang here because we're going to get to the third reason why manuka honey is killing it in wound care so we'll check you guys on the other side Hey, Doc, your next patient is here. Great! Bring him over. Doc, this one is a doozy. A really nasty wound. Let me take a look. Yes, that is pretty bad. Let me go grab some antibiotic cream. Uh, Be right back. No, no, no. No antibiotic cream for this guy. My first choice for moist wound healing is Manuka honey.
0: Honey? Did you say
1: honey? Yes, honey. Manuka honey. Honey has antibacterial properties. It also maintains a moist wound condition and provides a protective barrier to prevent infection. Plus, it's all natural. Okay, okay. Let me grab some Cruz Manuka honey and let's get this pup fixed up. You got it. Learn more about the healing powers of Cruz Manuka honey at kruuse.com.
0: sure it's all fun and games until someone ends up in a cone Woo! that's right we're animals deal with it pet life radio let's talk pets let's talk pets
1: let's talk pets on pet life radio
0: pet life radio dot <gasps> <.com. laughs>
1: We're back and um, the constantly interrupted Dr. Campbell, who is so tolerant and when he enters the candy verse, was uh, relaying the top reasons why uh, Manuka honey is killing it if you are looking to select honey. So my question, I think you were getting to it with the reasons why one might select honey versus some other wound dressing, right? Some other type of wound care, right? The viscosity, antimicrobial properties uh, within the honey itself. And then the third one which is where I interrupted you.
0: No, absolutely. You hit the nail right on the head. First, antimicrobial properties. Then like what you had referenced as far as nourishing the wound. I like number three. And there's plenty. Listen, this list could be 10 10 items long, but we're just only here for four. I would say number three for me is ease of application because there are so many other wound dressings. Listen, we'll get to wet to drys at another time, but certainly people do those sorts of things. You talked about silver. There was a reference to silver sulfadiazine earlier in the podcast. And so I just love the fact that honey comes in a variety of sources, including the paste, the calcium alginates, the hydrocolloids. When you're talking about moisture retentive dressings, the goal here is to keep the wound moist. So if you can keep the wound moist and provide that in a honey environment, that works out great. And number four... I would say it's cost-effective because some of these wound dressings, everything from vacuum-assisted wound therapy to a a variety of other topical treatments, they can actually get pretty expensive. And so if you can have something that is relatively cost-effective, it is easy to apply, it kills bacteria, and it nourishes the wound, I would say it is hard to find a wound dressing that hits all those nails on the head.
1: And it's safe if the pet licks it
0: you know what it is it is safe you want to obviously be careful because you know when you're talking about ingestion size definitely matters right i tell you this, size matters so some of these dogs and cats can be quite small so speaking of of ingestion and danger and, and looking at do,
2: do you just put the stuff on there and leave it? Or do you put a dressing over it? I have have the opportunity to see, of course it's sticky,
0: right? Is it not sticky? It certainly is. And I so appreciate that question because what it basically underscores is the importance of a three-layer dressing. A honey always wants to be, should be always incorporated in a primary layer where you have the medical treatment and also helps to keep the wound moist. Then you have your secondary and your tertiary layer to basically protect the bandage. And it basically prevents the wound from becoming dehydrated or losing moisture. So you are 100% correct. That, honey, should always be incorporated in the primary layer. And then on top of that, a secondary layer and then tertiary layer. And then here's the key for me. For both of you, what has been your experience with wounds? Because they happen all the time, regardless of the species you're working on. Dr. Jason, Dr. Jen, what has been your experience with wounds? Every clinician has their own wound story, and I see a lot of pad injuries, surgical side injuries. What what do you guys, you know, what what's been your experience?
1: I mean, does anything that you take care of, Jason, ever get sick or die?
2: No, but ba- back a long time ago in my life, I had to take care of these animals that were on pasture and not tame and forever away. It was the cowboys, right? We used dirt, which is terrible, but that's what we had, right? But honey sounds like it might've been excellent. We had a lot of those kind of wounds that would, we couldn't get to every day or every week with all kinds of dangerous drugs and stress. I could have slapped some honey on there and said, you're good for, oh, wait, how long does the honey last? That's my question. How
0: long should I leave this stuff on? Right? The weeks, days. I will say that that is a, a great alternative, depending upon how exudative the wound would would be. Like you said, just slap some honey on it, and and that would help granulation tissue formation. But you're right. If it is a severely contaminated wound, or there's areas of necrosis in the wound, or if the wound is, is severely exudative, you are correct that uh, wound treatment, that honey wound. Treatment or bandage application should be changed every one to two days. There are reports that honey could even stay there as long as five days, but it depends again if you're dealing with the wet or dry wound.
1: So, I have a question about that too. So, some of the worst wounds I ever took care of were reptiles. Reptiles don't do anything fast, like, there's no reptile emergencies. You know, you got two weeks before it decides if it's going to live or die, right? So, you got time to figure it out. But we, we would see wounds, whether it was reptile versus reptile, or it was uh, reptile versus heat. And if I couldn't provide a primary closure, then my biggest concern was fungal infection. And second to that was pack a lunch, because they're going to take forever to heal. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> for freaking ever to granulate it. So when you're using honey does it disappear from the wound? Because, you know, a lot of dressings, if you put them on and you cover them, put like a nonstick or a gauze, if you're just doing a stay wet type thing. And then I take it off three days later, a lot of those dressings will either be, they'll just be gone, right? I'll just be taking it off and, you know, and there's the wound. So does honey disappear? Does it get absorbed? Does it sit there? What happens?
0: No, you hit on a lot of really important points. I mean, first and foremost, I mean, when we talked about Manuka honey, we celebrated one of our first bullet points was that we're going to celebrate the antimicrobial activities. But you know what I forgot to mention is that it also fights fungi, it fights viruses, it fights protozoa. If you're worried about fungal contamination, boom, honey. If you're worried about viruses, boom, honey. If you're worried about protozoa, boom, honey. I think if you're if you looking at a wound, you say, man, what should we use? And somebody says, boom, honey. That's what I say now. I don't say anything. I just say, boom, honey. There you go. You've got it. So you brought in another point that I think is awesome on the human side. Um, I'm sorry, not humans, people. For people, they're certainly using, you know, I guess that's what we got to call them, right, people? So they're using certainly honey for diabetic ulcers, radiation burns, uh, thermal burns. So uh, when you're talking about poorly healing wounds or wounds that are going to take a while, uh, that's something that, you know, obviously I have experienced experience, and it's a problem, like you said. And then finally, to answer your question, I was a little bit long-winded to answer your question, yes, it does disappear. The sugar dissolves, and then you're left with hydrogen peroxide, and that hydrogen peroxide is killing bacteria, but then that gets inactivated in a moist wound, and the final thing you're left with is the word that nobody wants to say, which is methylgloxal.
1: Okay, so you said hydrogen peroxide, so here's my question then, because I don't use hydrogen peroxide in wounds, and I will tell you not to ever put hydrogen peroxide in a wound unless... Like you're crashed, you're in the middle of the desert, the only thing you have is hydrogen peroxide and you know that there's like dead tissue in there. You're trying to you know, like get that crustiness off because you had to walk three miles before you got to the hydrogen peroxide. Anyway, because it can potentially damage healthy tissue, do I have to be concerned about that? If the honey, the sugar dissolves and I'm left with hydrogen peroxide and then I'm left with the methylgloxal, if I you know move through the process there... Well, how much hydrogen peroxide is that? Is it enough that I'm going to have to worry about tissue damage or inflammation or what?
0: Absolutely not. A great point. Number one, people out there are still probably saying, hey, let's just pour a little hydrogen peroxide on it. And then somebody, you know, a clinician might say, hey, don't do that. And you say, why? I I didn't know hydrogen peroxide is bad. And you nailed it 100% in my opinion.
1: It's got an incredible marketing campaign, right? Like it foams up, it's beautiful.
0: I would say, number one, it is non selective, you're right? So it kills both good and bad stuff. Uh, And the good stuff we want to keep, and honey is selective. So the hydrogen peroxide that is left after the sugar dissolves is not going to harm. It's at a low enough concentration that it's not going to harm good tissue. And then once that hydrogen peroxide is inactivated in a moist wound through an enzyme called catalase, which we don't have to talk about. The bottom line is now you're left with non-peroxide-based killing, non-peroxide-based killing, which is that whole methylgloxal. So that's the point of medical grade honey. That's the point of Manuka honey. That's the point of applying honey is that you can kill bacteria through a non-peroxide-based system. And that's what I love about it.
1: Boom, honey.
0: It's like another shirt. This is fantastic.
1: I mean, clearly Mariah mistitled her recently released autobiography. It should have been boom, honey.
0: You know, listen, at the end of the day, when you say to yourself, well, I've got things that I'm comfortable with and I've got old tips and tricks of wound care that I'm comfortable with. I'm not into switching, whether it's silver sulfadiazine or wet to dry bandage or any of these other techniques. You don't have to think about the new and next fancy wound of application and treatment. You can go back to an old, ancient favorite. And in my opinion, that would be, you know, medical grade Manuka honey. You don't have to necessarily say, well, they've got these new fancy products out there. Yes, the cool thing is about these honey products is that they can be incorporated in various wound dressings, whether it's like you were saying, you know, hydrocolloid, hydrogels, calcium alginate. But the neat thing is that it's something that's been around since ancient Egypt.
1: I have two questions. Number one, does the honey travel around in an invisible jet? Because it's sort of sounding like a superhero.
0: (laughs) It's superhuman. Yeah. And it's amazing. Let's be real about this. We're talking a lot about how amazing honey is. And I think the point you're making is a well taken. The medical grade honey itself is has amazing properties, but it still has to be applied in a smart and evidence-based way and uh, according to wound principles, right? So first and foremost, you got to lavage the wound. Step one, lavage the wound. It rehydrates tissue, gets rid of foreign debris, gets rid of surface bacteria. And then step two, Debride the wound, whether that's either a superficial debridement or surgical debridement, you got to get rid of all that tissue. But when you're lavaging that wound, you know what I mean? You're making the tissues hydrated so that white blood cells, white blood cells, are literally the most precise surgeons out there because they go through and they just take away all that bad bacteria, but they do it on a microscopic level. And so by keeping a wound moist, like with a honey, or moisture retentive dressing like with honey, you are allowing those white blood cells to do their job. So
1: if you have an exudative wound, like if I have one that's just pumping out pus and nasty fiber and it looks gross, and I clean that off, even though but I know like tomorrow when I change the bandage, it's going to be full of crap again. That's appropriate to put honey on, right? Because I should slowly see a decrease in the exudate from the wound.
0: Yeah, sometimes bandages need to be changed every 12 hours or every 24 hours until the amount of discharge from the wound decreases. And then you could start to extend the interval between those bandage changes. But you're 100% correct. You still have to, despite all the amazing properties of honey, it still has to be applied according to wound management principles. So thank you for bringing up that point.
1: Okay. And then I remembered my other question. Now the train of thought came back through the station. Is it possible for those like hallucinogenic compounds that can be incorporated into the honey if the bees feed on the, what is it? The philodendrons or that family of plants be incorporated in the Manuka honey, or is it just a Dalmatian that I'm treating?
0: Now, I will definitely say as far as hallucinogenic properties of Medical grade manuka honey, you are in a class of your own, Dr. Jen. I am not totally sure about that, but that's certainly something we can look into. Uh, Out of all the questions about wound management and medical grade manuka honey, as far as hallucinogenic properties of honey, I'd never have gotten that. Thank you for bringing that up. That'll be for the next if we do a round two.
2: Yeah, only Dr. Jen can figure out how to get, how to turn something so awesome like honey into some hallucinogenic situation.
1: I mean, it happens if the bees feed off of certain flowers, then the honey that they produce is laced with hallucinogenic compounds and you have a situation. And I'm just asking, like, is it because I put the honey on a Weimaraner that that behavior like occurred? Or is it because the honey was contaminated with?
0: I would say, listen, at the end of the day, you are right. There are current studies. And I saw one in 2019 and one in 2020. They are now starting to investigate other types of honey for its properties. But by and large, what we know for sure is that if a bee feeds on a manuka shrub right, New Zealand or Australia, you can apply it safely without worrying about whether your pet is going to hallucinate. You got to hit it
2: with the gamma radiation. You either have Hulk or you have very good honey.
1: I love the Avengers reference, Dr. Jason. I love it. That's incredible. I mean, I'm not sure why we have to keep slamming my favorite wound dressings, but I think I'm going to have to maybe consider adding honey honey to the list.
0: I would say what's, what's cool about honey too is you can incorporate other uh, antibacterial, antimicrobial ointments or dressings along with honey. You can, if you want to use honey by itself, that's awesome.
1: But you can mix it in with other stuff?
0: It depends on what you've cultured from the wound. And that's a, a, like a level of complicated wound healing that I think I would sort of handle according to what the wound shows me. But you absolutely could use petroleum based or other uh, wound dressings along with honey in the situation you need to. For example, if you're culturing something like Staphylococcus pseudointermedius, which is highly resistant, or even in the case of MRSA, What we found is that just recently they looked at medical grade manuka honey. These staph pseudo intermediate strains were susceptible, all of them would die with medical-grade Manuka honey. So they basically tested alone. They tested this Manuka honey against these severely aggressive and resistant bugs uh, from staphs to intermediates, and they found that medical-grade honey could literally take them all out. And then here's the kicker. If it couldn't get rid of these bacteria, if it couldn't slaughter these bacteria, it actually assisted the antibiotic to do that. So in the situation where an antibiotic is having trouble killing this bacteria, if you added honey... You got a boost, a synergistic, almost like you were saying, a superhero boost from the honey to kill this bacteria. We call that a superhero mashup.
1: I love it. So even if honey can't get it done, honey joins the team.
2: Honey joins the team. You guys know what the ancient Egyptians are saying right now? What? Well, duh. (laughs) Well,
1: well, duh.
2: Took you lots of evolution and all kinds of education to get to this point. We've been there forever.
1: But I do have one more question because our listeners in the Candyverse who are taking care of wounds, just changing a bandage is no longer just changing a bandage. It's a whole situation. So are there any disinfecting solutions we should stay away from? Do we have to? So like I like to use like a chlorhex solution, right? Because the uh, betadine stains my nails. And so if I'm using chlorhex solution to clean that exudative gunk off of the top of a wound before I put that dressing on, Do I have to rinse all of that off? Do I have to be careful not to get that with the honey? Is there any situation or does it doesn't matter? Just do my usual stuff and put honey on instead.
0: It's all about concentration. And you mentioned something called, you know, that I really like a guanide called chlorhexidine gluconate. I like chlorhexidine, but it can't be used in too heavy of a concentration. So the ideal concentration for everybody that's listening and and treating wounds is 0.05% dilute chlorhexidine. And the cool thing about that is that they found at those concentrations it's able to kill surface bacteria without harming those cells. And so I, I think you're spot on. You absolutely can use chlorhexidine to rinsed wounds. There's also studies looking at tap water. You You could absolutely use tap water because it's hypertonicity that will take away a lot of dirt and debris, but I would always flush tap water with sterile saline afterwards. So that is an excellent point. And finally, a lot of people are trying to lavage wounds using bulb syringes and squirting syringes. You have to get that PSI up to that pressure per square inch. You have to get that up to seven to eight. Right. And the best way to do that is break a needle off and then put it up to, like you said, 300 millimeters of mercury. If the pressure is too high, you can cause damage. If it's too low, it ain't going to do anything. So I think at the end of the day, uh, like you said, 100 percent, let's get a nice chlorhexidine rinse on there. Make sure it's the right concentration. Get your PSI up in terms of wound lavage, so that it's doing something, and then finally go ahead and uh, take out all that necrotic stuff and and place your honey dressing.
1: Place
2: your honey dressing. You heard it
0: here first.
1: Place your honey. Boom. Place your honey. Do you forego systemic antibiotics in many of these cases? Like, are you that bold? Are you that confident? Are you that close with honey?
0: It sounds a little bit like I'm hedging my my answer here, but the reality is it is based uh, a lot on culture. Uh, you brought up uh, reptiles, which I thought was spot on because we are sometimes dealing even in mammals with cases of uh, wounds that they don't bleed when you cut them.
1: Especially if you have an ice pack between the... Wound in the heart.
0: Right, exactly. So if you have a situation with a dog or any mammals, hypothermic or hypovolemic, then those wounds won't bleed when you cut them. So I wouldn't necessarily use that as an indicator that a wound is not viable. Oh, it doesn't bleed when I cut it. Well, are they hypothermic? Are they hypovolemic? And so, you know, certainly if I have a wound and I culture a nasty bug, I will absolutely prescribe systemic antibiotics in those situations.
1: Well, I, you know, just for folks who are listening, because it's flying around in that invisible jet you know, the Manuka honey. And and it does have a lot of great properties. If you're looking to use a wound dressing that does not contribute to the ever-growing problem of antimicrobial resistance, medical gray Manuka honey is a good choice, right? But then the question is, do I have to give the systemic antibiotics? And I guess it depends. It definitely
0: depends. Do you feel confident enough with your fresh wound bed that is granulating well and uh, if the dog's otherwise doing well? However, if you are concerned uh, About the status of the wound You know as they say When in doubt cut it out right Depending upon the wound itself I don't know if everybody says that Well I say when in doubt If it's skin leave it in Because what you can do is Come back later and see You know, if it's necrosing or whatever, but I think at the end of the day, if you are confident that you have a nice, healthy wound bed, systemically, the dog's doing fine, you can make that decision to forego systemic antibiotics. But in general, I will say if I'm culturing a bacteria from a wound and I am concerned about this wound healing, I absolutely will prescribe antibiotics consistent with that. And particularly the wound has to be viable, right? So how are antibiotics going to get there if the wound is not viable? So that's why it's so important to create a healthy wound environment that's viable so that the antibiotics you're prescribing can actually get to the
1: point. Jason, do you know what I heard from all of that? If the wound doesn't bleed, it means we have a problem. Like Add that to like our, our steps in, in assessing viability, right? Poke it with a stick and see if the wound bleeds. A dry wound is not going to heal fast, friends, and it's going to leave a big old scar.
0: Right, right, right. I'd say... Everybody who's listening, you know, for me, it's about a- ACT, right? And if you're saying, I don't understand how to assess wound viability, I would say, think about attachment, you know what I mean? The color and the texture. So if the wound's peeling, right? If the skin's peeling back, it's not attaching. That's a problem. Color. I'm going to ask you, if you wouldn't mind, on your own podcast, if you would give people an award, them a vet candy t-shirt, they can guess some, some colors of wounds. I'm going to give you a couple that are bad you know but you see skin you go oh my goodness these are not good there's five of them i would say and i'll give you three okay there's five different colors of wounds five different colors of wounds that are bad if you see this you're like holy cow we have a problem we have a major problem i would say in general there are about five colors there could be others but if i'll give you three of the five you just gotta guess the other two
1: aren't there only like roy g Biv? there's only seven colors anyway right
0: there's certainly five bad ones. If I, see any, if I see a wound with any of these five bad colors, then I say, okay, there's a major issue here.
1: Are you wanting people to email in and tell us the colors and we'll send them like a Veya Candy t-shirt if they hit on one of your colors?
0: I would love to be, you know, you guys are the most amazing hosts on the planet. I'm just a visitor, but I would say this. If that's something you want to do, I think everybody would really love it. Bad
2: colors of wounds, give us three. Black, brown gray. Those are all bad.
0: Two more that are bad. If you see skin that are, is pitch black, if the skin looks brown, it, it, obviously, if there's not underlying pigments of the skin that are already brown. And then, of course, if you I see skin that's gray, these are problematic. These are problematic. And again, probably fit in the area of when in doubt, cut it out, it, You know, particularly if, you're not gonna, if there's an excessive skin, and you're not going to be worried about wound closure in the, in the future. Now, there are two more that are probably a little bit more difficult. Yeah. And so it's all about that ACT. And I don't mean that standardized test. I mean, attachment, color, and texture. Uh, last thing we didn't talk about is texture, slimy. If the wound's slimy, if the skin is like mozzarella, you know, string cheese. So
1: jerky is bad.
0: Uh, yeah, but not good. And so if you're seeing texture that's slimy, jerky, stringy, this again, this is all indications of Ah, when in doubt, cut it out.
1: Jason, do you see how the surgeon continues to arrive at the solution being cut it out? Cut it
2: out, then put honey on it, right?
1: Whenever I'm talking to a surgeon and I say, Here, here's like my bottom line question, right? You want me to do something crazy that I think is like super nuts? And I look at you and I say, is this going to make my scar smaller? <laughs> and if you say yes, bring it. I will go to Crazy Town. I'm happy for that. Right. Like, yeah. And so a lot of clients are concerned with that. So I think that's all good stuff.
0: We are so fortunate that our mammalian and reptilian friends, and they are, and everybody else, they do not care about scars. You know what I mean? They're just not as self conscious as we are. I love that.
1: Well, I don't know. Charlene. Charlene's pretty self-conscious. She is. And I bet old Quarantina wouldn't appreciate you talking about big old scars.
0: She's, a, you know what I mean? She's got other things on her mind, you know, like how much she can hoard food, you know what I mean? In her cheek pouches.
1: In her cheek pouches. How many times she can make the wheel spin?
0: Uh, just, she's got other things she's concentrating on, but certainly, like you said, scars may not be one of those things.
1: Yeah. All right, Jason, do you have any other questions about Boom, honey.
2: Again, how could I possibly have any other questions? We we really ran the gamut on this one from A to Z all about honey and threw in some leeches. This is fantastic.
1: I mean we didn't we didn't bring up maggots.
0: I
2: think Dr. Campbell actually mentioned the maggots.
0: That could be another episode, but you're when you talk about surgical debridement, listen, maggots are on another level too. So
1: you know what else is? Those little fishes. When you're getting a
0: pedicure, I've never got the pedicure fish. <laughs> That's right.
1: Come on, listeners, you know what I'm talking about. Newshounds, you guys know what I'm talking about. Like For like 20 bucks, the the little fishes nibble the dry skin and the callus off your feet. I mean, it's a circle of life, people. Okay, well, I have to tell you, I have a whole new respect and a reason to celebrate honey.
0: What is the reason to celebrate honey? We hit so many points. I just wanted to say thank you for letting us hit those points about honey uh, because it's one of my favorite things to talk about.
1: Jason, was there any doubt in your mind after um, our discussion that this is uh, one of Dr. Campbell's favorite topics?
2: Zero doubt. I thought I liked honey. I, not even in the same atmosphere as Courtney. None. Zero. Comparatively, I think I don't like honey as much as he likes it. It's crazy.
1: We tease you. We jest. But we love it when you uh, when you come into the Candyverse and nerd out with us a little bit. I mean, methylgloxal. Come on. Really, really like it. And uh, I know that the tips that you've provided for wound care, just even wound assessment and making that plan will be um, significant for folks moving forward. So thank you so much for that, Dr. Campbell. Thanks for having me. And if you, in the Candyverse, want to email us at jen at myvetcandy.com.
2: Or jason at myvetcandy.com. Sorry, I was logging into my burner account there.
1: He is logging in. He's trying to win a t-shirt, folks. If you provide us with one of the two remaining wound colors that are bad... We will pick a winner. And actually, if you kind of want to be more descriptive than just saying one single color, you could you could throw a little extra adjectives in there for us. We like it, we like it. So anything that fulfills that um, ACT. So we would love to get it and we'll send you a t-shirt and we'll even say your name on the subsequent episode of the podcast. And as always, thank you so much for joining us in the Candyverse. I'm Dr. Jen.
2: And I'm
0: Dr. Jason.
1: And we'll catch you guys on the next episode of In Other News. Let's
0: Talk Pets. Every week on demand. Only on PetLifeRadio.com.